How do you, your department, or even your school support and integrate students with learning disabilities into your language program? In this episode, we're talking about teaching all students, with a particular focus on students with learning disabilities. I'm joined by Dr. Danya Mahoney, a Latin and Spanish teacher in Massachusetts who has done extensive research on this topic. She's here to speak about her doctoral research with actionable tips and advice for all of us. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I'm assuming you have a busy schedule. You are a teacher to listen to what's happening in language classrooms all over the world and to think about what you're doing in your classroom and be reassured you're on the right track or maybe get some ideas for doing it even better. Just thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It's what makes you an incredible educator. So today on the podcast, we're talking about an incredibly important topic and theme, and this is about how we are supporting all of our students in our classroom. And a lot of times we look at this from a DEI lens, looking at representation and diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I want to take that a bit further today, and we're actually going to look at learning styles, student profiles, and even going into the idea of learning disabilities and how we can support students with learning disabilities. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about even that terminology, which I'm a little unsure about myself. So my guest today is Danya Mahoney, and she is a Latin and Spanish teacher in Reading, Massachusetts, and she's been teaching for about 29 years. She is also on the MAFLA board, which is our state association for language teachers here in Massachusetts, and she was recently elected to be their clerk, so congratulations to her on that. And she has also just completed some doctoral work, and I'm going to ask her specifically to tell you the details about that. Because when it gets into doctoral work and getting a doctoral degree, there's a lot of details that I probably wouldn't do justice to. So thank you so much, Danya, for being with us here today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this. Yes. So our topic of looking at neurodiverse students or students with learning disabilities was the topic of your graduate work and your doctoral degree. So could you just tell us about what that was like for you and what you got into with that? So my interest is in the intersection of world language and special education, and my dissertation specifically focused on Massachusetts world language teachers and their attitudes and perceptions towards inclusion of students with disabilities in their classes. And that was a really interesting topic, but it really led to me understanding a lot more about how we can support students with disabilities and learning differences in our classes. Okay, excellent. So I want to start with a question that I think we all know the answer to, but I now have a doctor on the line here that can talk to us about this. 
can every student, regardless of their learning profile, can every student succeed in a language class? So the research shows, and I firmly believe that every student can succeed when given the supports that they need to achieve in those classes. In the same way that students can achieve in any other content area and any other core subject area. I had mentioned in doing the intro that I was using the terminology of learning disability, and I'm also hearing the terminology of neurodiverse or neurotypical, and I want to make sure that I'm using the correct terminology in this discussion. So how would you look at learning disability or neurodiverse. Just talk to us about your understanding of those words. My dissertation focused more on students with learning disabilities in the specific sense of looking at diagnosed disabilities, because that's such a a measurable thing. How many students are diagnosed with dyslexia, for example, or ADHD, or any other number of language-based learning disabilities or LBLD. So that was kind of the grounding of that piece of it. But the conversation around learning disability and students with diverse learning profiles is shifting. And to the point that this, this is a conversation that is happening today everywhere, thinking about how to support neurodiverse students, students with learning disabilities. So the language is shifting. I tend to use students with learning disabilities because that's the language that I used in my dissertation. However, I think as we move forward, we'll be seeing the use of neurodiverse and neurotypical or even neurodivergent. I'm most comfortable with neurodiverse because I think we all fit into that spectrum of diverse people. And I think we are all neurodiverse to a certain extent. You just mentioned the LBLD, so the language-based learning disabilities. And this is terminology that often comes up. We hear this in our schools all the time that, oh, their learning disability, it's a language-based. And I think as soon as teachers hear language-based, that means that they are then not able to be in a world language class because it's language-based. So can you give us some talking points about navigating those conversations? There are several significant researchers Richard Sparks and Leonore Ganshaw were pioneers in this work. It is worth remembering that special education has only been around since the 1970s. And the research around world language and special education has really only been around since the 1990s. So for those of us who've been teaching since the 1990s, this field has been growing and evolving and really did not exist before those of us were who've been teaching 29, 30 years, were in the classroom. So Sparks and Ganshaw really investigated how students with learning disabilities learn language. And they found that multimodal and engaging practices are the ways that students learn and that students, when given supports, can succeed and achieve in the classroom. There's also some substantial work coming out of Europe Judith Kormos and Joanna Nijakowska, working with English learners from other countries. So English learners from Hungary, English learners from Poland, English learners from Germany. That English learning profile as a second language has been a really solid foundation for some of the more recent work 
on supporting students with second language acquisition, and particularly students with dyslexia. So those are the researchers. The evidence really shows that students with disabilities succeed when given engaging multimodal practice, explicit instruction with grammar, but context and high interest motivating activities. So all of the elements of a proficiency-based classroom can support students with learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. So when we hear that terminology that it's language-based, just to debunk what people are thinking, that does not mean the inability to learn a second language. Absolutely not. I've been taking some classes on supporting students with dyslexia using Orton-Gillingham practices, since that's a well-researched and established method of supporting student reading. And the reading science really shows that spoken and communicative language is something that 99% of humans have capacity for spoken language. It's when written language becomes a piece of it that our brains don't always function as expected. So when we look at this idea of language-based learning disabilities, there's a literacy component that's attached to that more so than the spoken language component? The research isn't there yet. And this is an area that I'd like to explore more. Mm -hmm. With a language-based learning disability, we often as teachers come into the classroom with an assumption that we know what that looks like. And a student with LBLD is just one student with LBLD. And so their needs and requirements for success may be totally different than every other student with LBLD. Mm-hmm. So we know when we look at the big picture, make it kinesthetic, make it tactile, make it auditory, make it verbal, bring in all of the senses and make it engaging. And those are the strategies that can support language learning. It often happens that when I'm speaking with the special ed teachers in my school, we actually call them skills teachers in our school, that when they offer suggestions for supporting students, more often than not, when I'm at the end of that conversation, I end up thinking, that's just what I want to do with all of my students, I think. Like, if that's going to be supportive, then maybe we should be doing this with all of our students. There's a difference between accommodations and modifications. I understand that where you're actually modifying the the input or the output of what are the students producing. But when it comes to sort of accommodations about what's happening in the classroom, it seems like a lot of times, to me anyway, that, hmm, that's just really good teaching in the end. So why not do it for everyone? I mean, am I off base with that? What do you think about that? (laughs) No, absolutely. And world language class teaching has really shifted. So I think one of the places of disconnect has been that special educators are often most familiar with their own lived experience or what they learned, whether it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. And the world language teaching has shifted immensely in the last 15 years. So the move away from a grammar translation with a thousand vocabulary words and, you know, speaking on command or memorizing long passages, all of that methodology is really disappearing from most world language classrooms. And I think that's a good thing. We see that the research supporting proficiency and the research that supports a communicative approach really supports and benefits a broad range of students, including students with 
language-based learning disabilities. When special educators and administrators focus on what their own understanding is from the past, they lose track of the fact that we are evolving and shifting in a really dynamic and engaging way in world language. And I think the same is happening on the testing side, because they're following the recommendations that come through testing, neuropsychs and those different tests that are happening to diagnose students that when they get a recommendation to not be in a language class, a lot of it to me seems like it's based on what was happening in 1973 and not 2023. Exactly. (laughs) Well, and what's interesting is in Massachusetts, we're at a really interesting turning point. The Massachusetts World Language Frameworks were released in 2021. And one of the very first principles is that every student is entitled to high quality world language instruction as a core subject. So there's no question about it within the world language frameworks. The concern is how do we communicate that to all of these stakeholders, whether it's parents or administrators or special educators, school psychs, speech and language pathologists, everyone's bringing their own important influence to the table. And everybody wants to support the individual students. But how we get there is really the question. And communicating how world language has changed, that's really what I see my role as right now, is advocating for world language as a larger context, as a core subject, and sharing my understanding from my research and my dissertation with a broader audience so that I'm not just benefiting my own students, but trying to support world language educators and inform and educate special educators and team leaders and administrators about the importance of world language. You mentioned a little bit as we were going through some of those things that teachers can be doing in the classroom to better support their students with language disabilities. So I'd like to really get into the trenches with what that can look like with teachers. So what can teachers do to build those types of engaging activities that you mentioned that are necessary for students with learning disabilities. But then, as I said earlier, I think that's just good for all students. What are some of those things we can be doing? So I'm certain that many world language teachers are up to date with the principles of universal design for learning and backward design. So I think that's definitely something to keep in the back of your mind at all times. What exactly are you looking for? And then how can you best support your students in demonstrating success with that skill? Each student with a disability or each neurodiverse student is going to come into the room with their own specific needs. And that can be overwhelming to the teacher because we here we are trying to provide support and accommodation. So what can help? Things that I really like would be having cue cards and making, making cue cards that could be shared or taped to desks, right? So we have our vocabulary. I travel between classrooms, so it's hard for me to create like a permanent word wall. But I carry index cards with the essential information. And share that out. There's no harm in giving a student vocabulary that they need. And they will have more success if they have those little pieces of information that will allow them to move forward and initiate a task. They'll have far greater success if they can initiate a task with supports, a sentence starter, for example, or a word bank 
than if they are just left to their own devices. And often I'll make cue cards that have three levels. So one may be a cue card that is specifically for spelling. So a student with dyslexia, for example, or with a specific challenge that impacts spelling. Another one would be for word retrieval. So the way you approach a student with learning disabilities will vary depending on what they need. And then a final one would be just a sentence starter so that those kids who are just like, I have the words, I just can't put them together. So give them that sentence starter and allow them to expand upon that. Giving them a starting point and then giving them a few of the key pieces isn't creating an unfair advantage. In fact, it's just establishing a way for them to gain success. Because in the end, the students that have that support, like the cue cards, and then you have students that don't, in the end, are they taking a similar assessment? The beauty of a proficiency approach is that everyone's taking a similar assessment and you are evaluating your students' progress and growth over time. So you may have a student who will always have trouble with spelling, for example. In that case, you need to keep that in mind and understand that if the spelling doesn't impact communication, if they are comprehensible, then their language is appropriate and accurate. It is also reasonable to say, you know, this student has difficulty with processing, for example. And so a shorter sentence is an A for that student as opposed to a full paragraph. I tend to teach mostly novice level classes, but this is transferable to every level of proficiency. It requires you to know your students and to know what really supports them. But it's not about withholding information or limiting what they have as much as providing the information that they need so that they can move forward. I'm thinking of the word differentiation. And that's not a word that you used in there as you were talking about universal design and backwards planning and all that. But I think that the word differentiation is a commonly used terminology in a lot of school districts, particularly these days. So can you help us see if differentiation is different than what you were just talking about? Or is it the same with different terminology? I haven't used differentiation as that term, largely because about, I want to say about 12 or 15 years ago, differentiation was all the rage and every teacher had to take a course at how to differentiate. And really what differentiation does is allows us to use those tools and the skills that we have in our repertoire as educators and as teachers to support individual needs. So the principles of, of UDL ask us to think about how are we presenting material, how are we asking students to produce and demonstrate their learning, and how do we assess that understanding in different ways, right? So we rely on choice and a variety of options. So yes, differentiation, I think, was a little bit stricter in its processes when it was all the rage 15 years ago. So I think I kind of steer away from it because it has its own language and repertoire. And I think UDL is a little bit more flexible in its approach and understanding. But it is just another way to look at what is it that we're asking our students to do how can we give them some choices and how they demonstrate their understanding? And then how can we be flexible in recognizing that students are going to gain proficiency at different rates and in different ways? So I think there's a time when students have something like 
a 504 or an IEP. Different states call them different things in the United States and around the world. There are different documents that instruct teachers on what particular accommodations might be. So there are certain things that come up in those where we are obligated to give certain structures or certain word banks, different things like that. So what I'm hearing you talk about is sort of beyond those things. Like those are the sort of the letter of the law. This is what we need to do. But then there's so much more that we can do that's really looking specifically at language. And I think that some of those things that you mentioned a little earlier were more of those tactile, kinesthetic, engaging things to do in the classroom, which never come up in those documents about accommodations. So I think some of those ideas would be really helpful for teachers to hear about. So the language of the IEP, the 504, is really what's designed to best support students in the classroom. But as you and I, I think, have mentioned either before or during our conversation just now, word language is often left out of that conversation altogether which is an unfortunate piece of how we provide really inclusive education for our students. As a result, the things that best support students in world language are often not mentioned in that IEP or 504. And also, this is perhaps going down a different path, but to a certain extent, many students with disabilities are exempted from language particularly through the middle school years. And that creates some tracking problems when they get to high school. That's probably a whole different conversation around civil rights and and placement and all of that. So let's not go down that path. To answer your question, what are the things that can be most beneficial? Having active strategies where students can be moving, can have a moment have movement in the classroom, super helpful. So a running translation, for example, providing opportunities for students who are experiencing sensory overload to wear the noise-canceling headsets so that while there's a running translation, the student who is more tuned into distractions and uh, noise can block that out, right? So the student who needs to have quiet gets quiet. The student who needs to move can move. Providing tasks that are not expected for every student, but each student chooses the one that best suits their needs. So if there was a running translation, I might put sentences in the hall and my student who needs to move goes to the hall. My student who does not need to move and wants to be quiet can have a quiet corner and be the writer. And yet both of those students are going to be engaging in communicative language to achieve the goal. So that's one th- one strategy. Another thing that I think is worth keeping in mind is that fidgets and poppets or things in your hand can be really impactful. And I know that they can be annoying in the classroom. Trust me, I've been in a classroom of 14-year-olds with stress toys. But making sure that students have something that can help them engage, whether it's something tactile, having sandpaper and having them write their words on sandpaper with their fingertips can be a really impactful way to practice, especially with spelling. They're not seeing it permanently because they're writing with their finger on sandpaper, but they're having that tactile experience. We know from Orton-Gillingham practice that a full body approach and skywriting can be really impactful for practicing language and spelling and 
building that phonemic awareness and not this kind of thing, but big full body motion can help build that connection between language and the brain and memory. I'm kind of throwing out a whole bunch yeah, of things. Yeah, I didn't come great. with the list, but great. these are all really impactful strategies. And then also something as simple as if you're making flashcards, don't type. Typing doesn't connect to the brain and the parts of your brain that you need to connect language and learning to your to memory don't really connect through your fingertips on a typewriter, but they do connect through the process of handwriting. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if the student's handwriting is terrible. It's the act of making that flashcard. Even if they only make that flashcard for that moment, and then they use digital flashcards to help them study, it's that initial moment of writing and making that flashcard that is impactful. And then practicing their flashcards as they walk walk around the room and do your flashcards. And if you know you have trouble with memory or long-term recall, attach your vocabulary word to a place or a spot in your room, someplace that you're building meaning that wouldn't necessarily be there. So if you're learning the word for hand, well, you put your hand on the wall and you look at your hand and you see the hand and then you're like, oh, wait, my hand can look like an M. How do I make my hand? You're making a visual, you're touching it, you're looking at it, you're building in color and texture. All of those pieces can be impactful ways to build meaning. If you're just looking at a word that's typed on a list that it doesn't build those connections. And these strategies benefit every student. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. As you're saying all of these, I'm like, yes, I think this is going to go for all of my sixth graders, not just the ones that come in with learning differences of any kind. So thank you very much for those. Are there any specific accommodations or maybe modifications that teachers can be making in their class besides the the things we've already mentioned. I just want to make sure that we've uncovered any of the advice or suggestions for teachers. I think if you're on the path to to proficiency and you're not 100% there because this is new to you because some of us have been teaching for 30 years and shifting to proficiency measures is hard. It's not an overnight practice. So I think if you're on that path and you're not there yet, consider what is it that you really want your students to know. And if you have a test with 20 questions, can you make that 10? A a very simple accommodation that can make your life easier too. And can you go up to that student and say, I want you to do 10 of your best. And if you can do more, great. You've now built that social emotional connection you're you're building relationships but also you're allowing the student to see that you recognize that this is hard and this is not something that that student may be able to do easily but you're giving them opportunities to show their success do they need to know 20 stem changing verbs or do they need to be able to demonstrate that they can do stem changing verbs and they can do 10 really well thank you for that so where are you continuing to pull your inspiration from and you know finishing a doctoral program and going through everything in there you had to be inspired to keep going with this. So where is that continuing to come from for you? My own family, I have some family members who never did world language, probably because of undiagnosed learning disabilities, going way back, generation. And they always seemed mystified why I loved language. 
so that always was in the back of my mind. And then for 20 years or so, I've been teaching students, I've been teaching different classes that are designed to support students with disabilities. And through that process of working with so many students and getting to understand the special education law, the shifts in best practices in special education, but also shifting in reading science and best practice in world language, I feel like I've brought together all of those pieces in my own thinking. And it's finally becoming clearer to me where there are gaps in our systems and where there's a need for clear communication to support students with disabilities and to really advocate that in some ways, special education students and world language have that's always been that weak spot, right? If something has to give, they don't need to take world language. Their schedule is really full. The student with the disabilities has to have extra reading services, no world language. And nobody would ever say a student with disabilities shouldn't take math. Nobody would ever say that a student with dyslexia shouldn't take history. They can't read. They can't take history. And yet world language, which is a way to strengthen language skills and is a way to build phonemic awareness and is a way to build connection and communication and relationships and is the foundation of a multicultural and global society, that is the place that they're being told they shouldn't go. And so I am really advocating that every student should be in a world language classroom and should be given the opportunities to succeed and be afforded accommodations and modifications and co-teachers if that's appropriate or push-in programs if that's appropriate or modified curriculum if that's appropriate. But every student should have an opportunity to build up that understanding of our global society and how to communicate with cultures around the world. I can see your inspiration is coming from that motivation for closing those gaps that you said you were seeing. And I really appreciate you speaking to how language classes, world language classes, or not necessarily world language classes, but all language classes, you're a Latin teacher, those classes are helping to support the literacy development. And that's a huge advocacy piece right there. I mean, there's so many reasons that we say, yes, learn a language. We're all language teachers. We know that. But there are some stakeholders that need to hear that point of the advocacy lens about how it's supporting their literacy overall. So thank you for shining a light on that for us. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the point in our conversation where I'm going to, I usually say that I'm going to pull the teacher curtain back a little bit, but I'm going to say this is the point where we're going to pull back the Dr. Danya curtain (laughs) (laughs) and get to know just, you know, Danya a little better by playing my little game of this or that. You up for it? Okay. I'm on game. Okay, so I'm going to give you two choices. Say one and try to choose one. Sometimes it's in the middle. And if you want to say why, maybe we can just learn a little more about you. So the first one is when it comes to mealtime, are you the one cooking or are you the one cleaning up? Always cooking. In fact, I cooked dinner in advance tonight so that my family could eat while I'm Uh, talking to you. Okay, all right. Do you have specialty areas of types of food you like to prepare? Are you kind of general? I'm I'm kind of a generalist. I've gotten good at cooking for picky people who don't like what anyone else in the room is eating. <laughs> okay, so you've had to get creative. And I'm also, I'm a little bit, I'm not picky, but I like to eat good food and I know I'm the best cook in my house. Nothing wrong with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next question. 
sun or shade? Ooh, shade on the beach. I like to be warm, but I also like to not be too warm. Okay. All right. And this last one, are you more of a skeptic or a believer? Wow. Am I a skeptic or a believer? I think I'm a skeptic. That's the researcher in you, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm always looking for how how do we make something better? How do we how do we solve a problem? And I put out on Twitter that I was looking for more this or that questions. And I just wanted to give a shout out to at score underscore French, who sent me these on Twitter for some this or that questions. So score underscore French on Twitter. Thank you so much. Those are fun. This or that connections. So Dr. Danya. I'm going to keep calling you that because you earned it. You earned it. Okay. So Dr. Danya Mahoney, I'm sure that there are teachers that would like to connect with you because this is a topic that is really prevalent in a lot of our classrooms that isn't getting a lot of attention. So if there are listeners who would like to connect with you to learn more about your research or what you're doing in your school, how can they reach out and connect with you? I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, mostly for professional reasons. For Gmail, I'm at Teacher Mahoney, which is a beautifully easy email to know. And also, I would recommend that anybody, particularly in America, keep an eye out for ACTFL. I'm working with some other educators in the process of developing a special interest group for ACTFL, where we are going to be looking at working together to support students neurodiverse students in the world language classroom. So keep your eyes open. That's coming soon. And for those listening, the ACTFL SIG, a lot of times you just refer to them as SIG, but the special interest group that Danya mentioned, you'll often hear as the the SIGs. So if you're looking on the ACTFL website, if you just put ACTFL and then SIG, you'll see it come up in there with the possibilities. So Any final advice that you can leave with us about teaching basically all of our students, but with a particular lens on those with learning disabilities? I would encourage you to see each of your students as unique individuals who have their own unique needs and to build those relationships. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes students with diverse learning needs or difficult learning needs can really push back. And sometimes students with learning disabilities have been told for a long time that they can't do language. And sometimes that understanding that they can't do language may be because they can't fit it into their schedule. Something simple as it doesn't fit. But students internalize what they believe about themselves as learners. So helping them to see their own potential and seeing them as uniquely wonderful human beings is really the starting point for how we can support all of our learners, but especially students with disabilities. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today, Danya, and for all of your great insight that you're able to bring to teachers. It has been an absolute joy speaking with you. Thank you so much, Joshua. I really appreciate it. What are your takeaways from that conversation with Dr. Danya Mahoney? Hopefully you're coming away more convinced than ever that language acquisition is indeed achievable by all students. Be sure to check out the show notes to connect with Dr. Mahoney. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. There are also links to get in touch with me if you'd like to work together, either in person in your school or remotely. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.
You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com.